Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hi, this is Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you leader to leader about something important. As leaders, especially at times of rapid change and uncertainty, it's easy to live and act from a place of fear. If we're not careful, that fear can paralyze us and keep us from effectively leading at work, at home, and in every relationship. But that doesn't have to be the case. My friend Ben Straub, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions, a growth architecture firm that helps leaders and organizations accelerate revenue and maximize impact through data-driven strategies, has just released a great new resource for leaders. It's called Eight Things Leaders Say When They Fear Change and How to Confront Those Fears. This five-page resource gives you eight of the most frequent responses we as leaders have when we experience fear and the specific steps and language that you can use to move beyond fear to action. Click the link in the episode show notes to get this resource today. You'll be a better leader tomorrow because of it. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew Olson with Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm here today with my friend Coral Dill, who's the principal at Grant Writers, etc., where she provides an array of services to help nonprofits build relationships with corporations, with foundations, and even with the federal government. Coral, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's great to have you here. I, I do also want to say Coral is a chapter author in my most recent book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them. And I'm really excited because we're going to spend a good part of the conversation today talking about some of those mistakes that people make, particularly in the area of grants and uh, some of your recommendations around those. Before we do that, take a few more minutes to, to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your firm. Yeah, so Grant Writer, et cetera, was started about three almost four years ago, actually, I was working in-house as a grant writer and was leaving to have my first child, and it kind of grew out of that. And since then, we've been working with uh, nonprofits in the Cincinnati area, but throughout the United States and Canada. Uh, and we've written grants for throughout North America and Europe. So it's been a really great experience kind of launching the business and then watching it grow. It's been really fun. When it comes to to grant writing and, and seeking grant support, you know, you you wrote a lot of great content in the book around this. And I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you see as the kind of the biggest mistake that an organization makes related to grant funding. Absolutely. So I think the the number one mistake that I see is actually looking for grant funding in general, just prematurely. So a lot of organizations, they'll get their 501c3 or even sometimes before that, like as they're filling out the application and they're going to, they just cast all of their dreams on this grant funding. And it's just the assumption that we'll, we'll just fund our whole mission with grants. And I think that's just a misconception. I talk a lot about that in the book, but really that's kind of the last place you want to start. A lot of grant makers really want to see three years of solid outcomes and funding history. And they want to know that other people are invested in this mission too. So I think that's the largest uh, mistake that I see in early, like just early days of nonprofits looking to to fund their whole mission with grants. So grants area is not something that I've ever really played in. You know, I've always focused on individual relationship fundraising. So it's a really foreign space to me. And I'm, I'm confused as to why an organization would say out the gate, we're going to go and target you know, grants rather than saying, let's build up a community of, of individual supporters or, you know, target this or that. What is it about the grant space that makes so many organizations try to go there first? 
Yeah, I think people see it as a really fast way to get money in the door. You can get large sums of money seemingly quite easily, and that's not true. I think the organizations that we see getting those $100,000 grant, $50,000 grants, they have really established a foundation. So they've got solid programs, solid outcomes, they have buy-in from community members, and they have proven outcomes. So they can show that they're moving the needle. And a lot of new nonprofits, uh, and by new, I mean also early stages. So you could be a few years old, but just not have gained some traction. They don't necessarily see the work that has gone in for years before those organizations are applying for funding. And so, you know, a small organization, $50,000 can be a huge amount of support. And so an individual donor might take a long time to cultivate, and then you're going to maybe get like $5,000 grant, you know, maybe that or gift a thousand dollar gift where grant you can, I mean, one grant application and you can get $50,000, $100,000. So a lot of people just see it as an easy way to get quick money. It's really not. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So something else you, you talked about in the book that, that I want to kind of get an additional perspective on is related to kind of expanding the number of, of grant funders in an organization's portfolio. And I'll tell you, you know, when I come in and I'm doing a, an overall development audit or I'm having a conversation with an organization, I often hear some, some variants of, well, you know, we, we want to get more grants this year. So we're going to send out 500 letters of inquiry. We're going to send it to every grant making organization in the state or all the big funders in the country or, or something like that, which sounds to me like the grant funding equivalent of we're going to go see if we can get, Bill Gates or Oprah to give to us, but it happens all the time. Talk, talk to me a little bit about the thought process behind that, why it doesn't make sense. Maybe is there a scenario where it does make sense? Give us a little context around that. Yeah, for sure. In my opinion, it's never going to make sense to just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Grant writing, I'm, I don't work with individual donors, but I imagine it's quite similar. It's all about that relationship piece. So you cannot just send out a million applications that are not tailored, that are not built on relationship, or that are not submitted on the foundation of a relationship that has been built and expect for some return. You might get lucky, you might get one or two, you know, there's always, there's always chances. But uh, the likelihood of that being a strong contingent of your funding is unlikely. So I would say an organization sending out 12, 24, whatever, 20 applications a year that are really strategic, that have really been focused for like-minded foundations or grant makers, you're going to see a far higher rate of success with those than if you just blast out 200 applications cold. It's just not, you're not going to see a return on that. So as you've been talking, it kind of triggered something for me, and, and maybe this is a Maybe this is an inappropriate perspective on my part. Maybe I'm callous about it, but I feel like part of this issue is, I don't know, do you, do you see this as much as I feel like I see it? This issue of people sent blasting out requests? Oh, yeah. So actually a client that I was working with last year, um, they had never had a grant writer before. And so I was asking, like they had, they had grants written. And so I was like, well, if you've never had a grant writer, how do you have content already written? And they said that they got all the parents together of this particular group and they just all wrote <laughs> random grants and submitted them all. And obviously none of them were funded, but I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what 
what are you doing? So yeah, I definitely, I've seen it. I mean, it's not something that I see often, but I think people just aren't realizing that there is so much more than a cold, basically a cold ask. Yeah. So in my mind, part of this comes down to the idea of at least we're doing activity, right? We're, you know, not necessarily making progress, but we're, we're creating activity. So we, we feel like we're, we're busy and we're moving towards a goal, even though the consequence might be that we don't actually move forward. Is that part of it or, or am I just being callous? Yeah. Well, I think you look at teams that are answering to whomever it is, a development director, a board of directors, um, constituents, and you need to answer on like, what are you doing to raise funds? Well, we just submitted 200 grant applications. Well, you could have submitted none and you would have had the same luck. Like it's just, you know, let's be strategic. So yeah, there is some of that. It's just spinning your wheels so you feel like you're busy, but you're not actually. And some of it just honestly comes from a lack of education around grants and this lack of understanding of what grants entail. It is not just a cold ask. And you're not, I mean, you don't really get, I, again, there's an exception to every rule, but you're not going to get, a, like in sales, you're not going to get a lot from cold calls. You're going to get more from warm leads. And the same is true of grants. Um, the more you put in, the more you're going to probably get out. If, if it's true that the more you put in, the, the more you'll get out and that it's about relationships, talk us through, you know, how, how would you coach a, a client who came to you and said, we want to increase our grant funding. How do we target the appropriate potential funders? What's the process? Talk a little bit about that if you can. For sure. So first of all, it's going to start with comprehensive research. So you want to identify all of the grant makers who share your funding priorities. Um, in the book, I talk a little bit about a client who we were looking for a van and they were like, great, the Ford Foundation. Well, that's <laughs> great, but not great because the Ford Foundation does not have a funding priority of transportation. So really identifying those key funders. And I think a lot of people will get anxious when they realize like there are only three local funders who are interested in our mission. But so like, let's cultivate those three local funders. Maybe your mission is crazy, like way out there, but three people are super passionate about that. Well, those three people can be your cheerleaders and they might have connections to grant makers in other states or even other countries. And so I think it's starting with that research piece, finding people who are passionate about the same things that your organization is passionate about and then working to cultivate those. Yeah, so, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit now about revenue expectations. You know, I, I see this all the time on the major gift side of the house where, where you know, you, you might look at a portfolio of donors and say, wow, these donors could collectively give us a billion dollars. And then <sighs> someone somewhere goes in and writes something like that into a development plan, right? Does the same thing happen in the world of grants? And like, talk a little bit about mistakes that people make around expectations on revenue. Oh my goodness, all the time. So I talk about this actually a little bit in the book too, about this idea that, you know, collectively these foundations that we've identified that have no interest in our mission, by the way, have, you know, a hundred million dollars that they can give us. So we're confident that we can get a million of it. Well, you've never had a grant before, <laughs> so probably not. Uh, but there is just this notion. And like we were talking about just quick, easy money, there's this idea that we don't have to waste time with anything under six figures, that's we're just going to start with a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollar grants, and it's like, 
no, that just doesn't happen. Again, exceptions to every rule, but in general, again, you're gonna to wanna to diversify your portfolio and you're probably gonna have a variety of small grants, medium-sized grants, what have you, but the likelihood of you going out and just writing a couple grants for $500,000 or $100,000, it's probably not going to happen. Some organizations that I work with obviously do have a number of six-figure grants and that's fantastic, but for small organizations, that's definitely not something you should be going and telling your board that you're just gonna write a couple grants for $100,000 each. <laughs> well, and those those six-figure grants, they probably aren't the first grants that those organizations have, have written for, right? Correct. Well, and that's the thing. Unless you, there's like a really unique situation with seed funding or something like that, your first grant is likely going to be substantially smaller. And by substantially, I mean like maybe 50 or 25, maybe 5,000. Like, it again, it depends on the scope of the organization and what kind of foundation you found. But yes, realities need to be <laughs> maintained. You know, you mentioned the importance of relationship. I understand relationship from the individual donor side of the house. And I think these are probably more similar than people realize. You know, I, I've, I've interacted with some grant writers inside organizations who surprisingly like never leave their desk, right? They are focused on doing research and writing grant requests and all the follow-up paperwork that has to be uh, taken into account. But what I've been surprised by is, you know, when, when we have a prospect management conversation, no one says, oh, I'm going to meet with so-and-so at this right. foundation, right? There, there's rarely this, you know, the kind of investment in relationship that you get on the other side of the house. I suspect that's a mistake, but talk to us. Maybe, maybe this is a uniqueness of the grant funding space. Yeah, it's, I think it is a little bit of both. Okay. Um, the hard part, from what I've heard, and I've only been writing grants for the last, I want to say, eight years, okay. eight or ten years. Um, so I'm relatively still new to the grant space, and I don't know, I've heard that this used to be different. I don't know to what extent. I think it's, it's challenging. Relationship is a huge piece of it, but especially with the advent of like web portals and applications, it's very cold and it's very easy to send out a lot of applications and have no personal interaction because you, ha you have the instructions there and you just submit your application. Um, the smaller foundations you need to call. Often, at least in Cincinnati, you're calling a law office so you're speaking to an administrator of the trust. So it can be really hard on a grant writer's it can be hard as a grant writer to be motivated enough to make those personal connections because it's so easy to not. Okay. Is okay. it beneficial? Absolutely. And should a grant writer, an in-house grant writer, be leaving their desk to meet with these foundations? Absolutely. One challenge that I have seen is on a foundation or a grant maker's side, it's hard to understand or gauge how they want that relationship to be built because to know a foundation is to know one foundation. They're all different. And so, um, there are foundations here locally where they only want to communicate via email. That's not ideal for my clients because we want them to come out. We want them to see what we're doing. We want them to see the space, our programs, et cetera. But that's just what they want. Other ones will want you to come in for, you know, a sit down or they'll want to come visit or they'll want to grab lunch and they'll want to talk about what you're doing. So it really is about following the foundation's lead, but being open to building that relationship when appropriate. Okay. Does that answer that question? It does. Kind of a follow-up on this, just more on the relational side. 
you know, obviously there are reports and things that have to be completed after a grant is distributed to make sure that you're you know, using the funds correctly and, and you know, whatever the, the particular grant makers requirements are. What do you advise your clients as far as like, you know, complete that step? Yes. But is, is there room for additional stewardship? Or again, is that, is that one of those things where the, the grant maker sort of sets the guidelines there as well? Yeah, so as a grant, as a contracted grant writer, I play a unique role because I'm shepherding them through the process while not actually doing the process myself. I really want to be in the background and not participate in the relationship building. But once that, so a lot of foundations will have like an 18 or 24 month waiting period. So once that report is in, you have usually another year before you can ask for money again. And so a lot of people just tend to let that go cold and they, you know, they have other grants in process that they're working about or working on and worrying about. But the best advice I ever received from a grant maker was if there are any changes in your organizations, good, bad, indifferent, whatever, I do not want to read it in a newspaper or hear it on the news. I want to be the first to know. And I think that's really important. Even in that down period, you've submitted your report, you can't apply for money. Realizing that relationship needs to be stewarded that whole time. So if you have any victories in that you know, the whole time you have the grant, but specifically in that lull period where that grant maker might not be on your radar, engage them, invite them out, send them just a quick email, make sure they're getting your newsletter, things like that. Make sure that you are their direct point of contact and they are not hearing third party about your organization. I think that goes the distance to keep them engaged, but also have them out. Again, extend that invitation and also show them you're not just interested in the money, you're interested in the partnership because truly, Grants are a partnership. You are trying to reach shared goals. So how can we do that? Even when we are not in an active funding partnership at that moment, how can we still engage? I love that. Okay. Thank you. Last question on these mistakes, and then I want to shift us into a different conversation, but are there any unique potential mistakes that organizations make with respect to seeking federal grant support? Oh, goodness. Federal grants are it their own unique beast. Um, my wheelhouse is really um, foundation grants. I obviously, not obviously, but I have done foundation grants and state level funding. There is an incredible amount of work uh, and documents. You have, you know, attachments A through Z. Everything is very specific. And so I think there are a lot of mistakes that organizations make. Potentially, I would say what I've seen the most would be a lack of capacity to handle the grant itself. Organizations may see it as a large influx of cash, but not realize that they do not have the bandwidth or the capabilities to carry out that grant as needed, right from implementation to reporting. It can require a lot. So I would say that that is probably the biggest mistake that I see, but there's just so much that goes into a federal grant. We'll be right back with the rest of our interview. But first, a quick message from our sponsor, Newport One. Newport One believes you can change the world, and we want to help you do it. We help nonprofits maximize their impact, not their agency's profits. We'll guide you toward what's best for you, not just best practices. Newport One believes fundraising is a way of life, not just a business. We can change the world because we believe we are better together. Visit us at newportone.com or email us at freshideas at newportone.com. So when you're saying that they make a mistake around handling the grant, you're not saying writing the application. You're saying it's, it's everything after that, right? Yeah, you have to just be really aware of the stipulations that are 
coming with that grant. There are a lot of expectations and I think you do not want to get yourself in a place where you've mismanaged your grant. There was, um, this was not a client, but a local district received a federal grant and the grant was mismanaged. Well, of course, they're not going to get a federal grant again, but also their local foundations saw that they mismanaged that grant. And so they're just falling out of favor with them as well. Huh. So you need to make sure that you have the bandwidth to manage that grant and the applications are their own beast, but to also manage the grant itself, it, it can be sticky if you're not ready. Okay. That's really good until, all right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about something different. So we're recording this on April 27th, 2020. As far as I know, your state's still in a, some semblance of a lockdown. My state's still in some semblance of a lockdown and, and yeah. most other states across the country are. I, I'm assuming that your phone six weeks ago started ringing the same way mine did with clients saying, what's going to happen? What, what do we yeah. know? How do we project from here? Are the grants going to come in? Are they not going to come in? Like, wh what are you telling clients right now? What's that conversation like? First, calm, calm down, <laughs> take a breath. <laughs> uh, and then I'm telling them to be consistent. Uh, I think there's like this knee-jerk reaction where things are tight. We're not sure what's going to happen. We don't really know what's happening now. Let's just stop. You know, with a lot of people going home, some of my clients cannot do work from home. So some of them, you know, have had to lay off staff and whatnot. And so there's this thought of like, okay, for some clients, and it's kind of that fight, flight, or freeze. Some are freezing. They don't know what to do. Some are like working overtime. And then some are just like, they're just lost. So I'm telling them to just be consistent on the fundraising side of things with grants. Grants are changing. I mean, they're changing, but they're still here. So be consistent. If you had something on your schedule to apply for, unless you have heard from the foundation otherwise, apply. If you have applications pending, unless you've heard from the grant funder otherwise, they're still pending. So be prepared for anything that you would expect, really. I mean, I had a, an email just yesterday. Site visits are still happening. They're happening via Zoom, but they're still happening. So be prepared. That's, I was um, going to ask you that because I, I've heard from one other client who said, well, we can't do site visits at all right now. So that, that's interesting that you have some clients that are, and, and some organizations doing that over Zoom. Yeah. So this one grant funder, they want to meet with the executive director, the development director, and the program director all on Zoom. They would like a tour if one of them could be at the facility. Um, and they're just going to go through everything that we would typically go through in person. They will go through on Zoom. So it's, it's things like that that be consistent. Like don't give into that fear and like shut down or run away, but be consistent. Um, that was my first piece of advice that I would, yeah, be giving, continuing to give clients. Are, are you counseling clients to, to try to seek new grant funding at this time as well? Yeah, I think I'm counseling them to be agile. There are grants that existed pre-COVID-19 that still exist. Some of them have shifted their priorities. So be agile. Can you shift, you know, we're all shifting, but how can you make those funds work for you? And I think a lot of people are in this realm of like, well, we can't do programs from home and we can't do programs online. Okay. But what can we do? We don't just want to, you know, if, if it's 18 months, we can't just shut down for 18 months. So how can we be agile and meet the needs of our clients or consumers and also continue to strive to meet those goals and those shared goals between us and the, and the grant maker. Cause there is space. There's still that space that grant makers, they're real people. They're living this with us. And so they're realizing we can't achieve those same outcomes maybe, or 
those, the goals have to change, but we're in this together. So how can we make that work? So just to be agile, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Are you um, seeing or hearing anything different with corporate foundations versus other types of foundations? Any difference in posture right now? Uh, not that I have experienced. I think across the board, everybody is shifting slightly to see if they can make COVID-19 funding a priority. Hmm. Probably more actually on the corporate side than the foundation side. Uh, it has not impacted my clients, mostly because I'm working with private trusts and foundations rather than corporate. I will say on the... I have some state funding pending through a local administrator, and that has been interesting to watch because rather than shifting their priorities, they actually came back to us us, and asked us if we wanted to receive the funds that we had been awarded. We were awarded funds um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and they came back at the end of last week and asked us if we even still wanted the funding because it required a 25% match. And so that was really interesting to me because there is going to be a contingent of organizations who can no longer meet that match. So sure. that makes good sense. So I'm curious to know just, you know, for your business itself and the services that you're providing the, to your clients in the community, like what has changed for you in the way that you serve organizations because of this? Yeah. So I'm still uh, grant writing probably as much as ever, if not, maybe more. Uh, because I'm doing the regular programming funding requests and also the COVID relief requests. And then, like I was saying earlier, a large part of making sure that organizations are fully funded is making sure that that research part is up to par. So for current funding, new research needs to be done with COVID-19 relief funding just to make sure everybody knows where those dollars are and what they can be applied to. But then also, at the end of this, we're still going to need all that program funding. So how can we create a strategy now that carries us through this time, but once all of this hopefully is over? So research is a big aspect of what I'm really uh, providing for existing clients, but then also um, new clients, just so they can create that strategy and really hit the ground hard with regular programming uh, once COVID-19 is kind of hopefully in the background one day. Um, and then another uh, thing that we we're launching that we're super excited about is our grants readiness audit. And that is just, it's for existing clients, it's for existing grant seekers, it's for new grant seekers, and it's just like putting your organization and its grant readiness under a microscope and assessing everything from your financials to your programs to your outcomes to what funding is available for you. And just making sure that we're going through that with a fine tooth comb and ensuring you aren't going to end up in a position like we we're talking about with uh, federal funding, where you just don't have the bandwidth and capacity to provide the services that you're committing to or spend the dollars in a way that you need to in order to get these programs off the ground and managed appropriately. So we really look at all of that. And we're really excited because a lot of, a lot of organizations, I think, can benefit from that kind of look inward to see you know, how can they become more effective. Yeah, no, I think that that could be a, a really useful tool. I mean, I see this all the time, you probably do, but in this space, there's there's such a, a move to like, you know, let's just act before we have all the information, right? Let, let's, we get an idea, we move on it, even if it's maybe not a good idea, right? Right. But, you know, either out of desperation or out of just lack of knowledge or who knows what, there's this motivation to move, 
even when we haven't fully thought something out. So I feel like an audit product like this can be really beneficial. It it might tell an organization a a story they don't want to hear. Oh yeah. But, but I assume that the, you know, the result isn't you go through the audit, you're not ready, therefore do nothing. It's fix these four things and then you'll be ready. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. Well, and that's the thing, the whole point of the audit, if you're not ready, yeah, let's uncover that. But then the next step is, okay, let's get ready. And then you have actionable steps once this grant audit is complete that you can, you know, maybe it's just working on your outcomes. Maybe it's tightening up your, like something I dare say as simple as tightening up your mission. Some people, you know, there's, there are some organizations. I mean, I have worked with really baby organizations who do not have a solid mission statement. It could be as simple as that, but it could be greater things like, is your budget way off the rails and you've been in the red for the last five years, that's not going to look good to a grant maker. So how do we work through some of those things? So yeah, it really looks at the, at the full scope of everything that you would need to be grant ready and grant successful. Okay. And so uh, admittedly ignorant to the process, it sounds though like, you know, once someone, once an organization goes through this process, they sort of have the, the toolkit, if you will, ready to go that should hopefully make grant seeking a a potentially faster, potentially easier process than if they were trying to create it all from scratch on the front end. Is that, is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. In addition to having, in addition to working with nonprofits on the narrative piece of it to make sure that their narrative is strong, we're also making sure that all of their content is in one place. So they're not going to, you know, a lot of grants will require documents after documents after documents. We're going to make sure that that's all cohesive in one place and solid. So you will have to tailor, obviously, each application to the relationship with that grant maker or the requirements of that grant maker. But in general, your information going into those grant applications will be solid. And everybody's going to benefit from, from that. Is there, a, is there an organization or a type of organization that's ideally suited for a service like this? Is it equally applicable to everyone? Like what, What's the sweet spot for that kind of service? Yeah, I think it's equally applicable to anybody who is confident enough to take a good, hard look at themselves, (laughs) which there are a lot of organizations who are not going to be comfortable doing that because it takes a lot of (laughs) self-awareness. Definitely shortens the list. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And can create a bit of discomfort. But the thing is, it's iron sharpens iron. Like, yes, it's going to be messy and we're going to get in the thick of things. But at the end of it, you're going to come out better than you were. And that's a good thing. And so this is particularly going to be good for people who have not been successful in winning grants. Perhaps they've applied and they just, they can't seem to get their grant seeking off the ground. People who have not been as successful as they have anticipated or thought, we can look at why, why, you know, maybe it's just a couple tweaks here and there. Often, oftentimes it's budget and outcomes that organizations go off the rails with. So let's look at those. If you are new to grant seeking and just don't even know where to start, this might be a way for me to guide you through and shepherd you through that process right from application to reporting. We can look at what you have to offer and where you need to get to be really grants ready. So there's something for every level of maturity of an organization, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. I think we're just about out of time. I I do want to just get one last question with you around you know, sort of the overall uh, of the grants process and, and what's going on right now. So I know that you said you'd counseled your clients, don't panic or calm down <laughs> and sort of stay the course. 
but an organization that is newly seeking to enter the space right now in the midst of crisis and chaos, if you will, with calm down and stay the course as givens, is there any other different counsel that you give an organization in that space right now than you would in any other time? I would give this advice anytime, but probably more so now, is just be honest. It's okay to be vulnerable with funders. A lot of people think of grant makers as this mysterious entity that has like all, I mean, they, they hold the power because they hold, hold the money, but they're real people. And we are navigating life with, I mean, I have a nine month old and a three year old in tow while I'm doing my work. These grant makers are doing that too with their kids, with their aging parents, we are all in this together. And so if we have to apply for a grant and we can't promise our outcomes because quite frankly, we don't know what they're going to be. That's okay. It's okay to acknowledge what we don't know because we are not in this process in a vacuum. We are all going through it together. And so that element of vulnerability, I think now more than ever, specifically for nonprofits who are new to the grant seeking process, I would say embrace that vulnerability and it's okay. Don't be fearful. That's good. Thank you. Coral, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your insights with us. If someone wants to talk to you about one of those grant audits or engaging you in another way, uh, what's the best way for people to reach you? Feel free um, on LinkedIn at Coral Dill or on my website at grantwriteretc.com or shoot me an email at coral at grantwriteretc.com. Awesome. Thanks again for being here today. Really appreciate you. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.